it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. If you're watching Fox Nation, you can see that Jason Chaffetz is in in the house, and Julie Banderas coming in, in at the bottom of the hour, probably uh, a little bit late, exasperated with a child. Uh, and maybe liquor on her breath. Let's be honest. <laughs> she, she's going to be an out. You're going to be an outnumbered, right? Yes. Yes. I'm sure she's going to be outnumbered too. I, she she will not be inebriated. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Now they're making the same arguments. They're saying that a, a special master would endanger national security and, and their case. Why? I mean, the special master is an extension of the court. They are appointed all the time. So what's the big deal? Bring on the special master. I'm not buying the DOJ's picture from Mar-a-Lago. Did the Trump team make mistakes? Do I want to hear why Trump and his team didn't just hand everything over? Sure. But am I sold on the illegality? How do I say that, Jason? Ill- illegality. Illegality. You better that because you did oversight for a while too, right? Yeah, and I got a dictionary with me at all times. Uh, because of the photo of the fo- of the floor mocked up by the FBI. Number two. Well, how many of their folks in New York City and Washington have perished by fentanyl? Why aren't they asking? What is the administration doing? We've got suggestions. If you guys will, will bother to meet with us. Sheriff Jim Skinner from the border in Texas. Hello, Second City. Texas starts sending illegals in buses to Chicago, joining D.C. and New York City. It's creating havoc there, like Governor Abbott deals with daily in the besieged state of Texas, as more deadly fentanyl takes or, or breaks more lives daily all across America. What will it take for Biden to unbreak the border? Number one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. Unbelievable. Divide and dismiss. This is the deployed strategy of the Biden and the Democrats uh, administration. Ridicule Trump voters and alienate the Republican base. Pretend you are tough on crime. The economy is roaring. That the border is closed. Afghanistan was a success. Please let me know how this helps the nation and his political fortunes. Reuters just came out with a poll. I'm saying, wow, I can't believe he has 45% approval rating. He's got 38. And uh, that was one poll that had him at 45. Jason, first off, I'm, I'm color me naive. But when you label a whole party, 74 million people that voted for President Trump, maybe some would vote Republican. So let's say 68 million. 68 million people, unacceptable. How does that help you govern? I, it doesn't help you govern, and it doesn't help any of the Democrats go out and win elections because usually to win in tight races, you've got to convince some of the other party to come join your side. But and do you agree this is a deliberate strategy? Oh, it's absolutely. I feel like I think they went and they did poll testing, they did focus groups, and they said, look, 
Biden has to show more energy. He's got to show he's fired up. And somehow they got they got to demonize the Republicans. And I guess this is their way to do it. But I, I think it's going to backfire. I think it fires people up and people self-identify. They might not answer a poll question. They self-identify. They're not going to go out there and buy that. They're going to go out and say, we've had enough of this. Well, they want to say January 6th. And they say that those that's MAGA Republicans. Now, for me and for anybody, I think when President Trump goes out on Friday for his rally, what is a MAGA Republican? Okay, they are strong on the border. Number two, they are uh, for new trade deals. We know that for sure. They're for strong defense, not getting involved in foreign wars for lower taxes, is uh, targeting corporations. Uh, they're for the working class, uh, for blue-collar They're pro-police. Yeah, very pro-law enforcement, pro-defense, but not pro-foreign wars. So, I, I mean, pretty much what Donald Trump did, he turned a lot of the Democratic agenda on its head. They didn't know what to make of it when he started saying, yeah, I'm not for these trade deals. So like, unions were, yeah, we aren't either. I want to bring manufacturing back. That's MAGA Republicans. They want to say, oh, you're violent. Really? Who was violent for the last three years? There was one day that everybody says that I know that was abhorrent. Besides that, I think Republicans got to start pushing back. I, I think uh, the best analogy I can come up with it's it's like a boxing match. If you're if you can't throw a blow, if you if you can't win on the issues, just wrap up your other opponent, push him in the corner, and just give him a bear hug. And and that's the way they're trying to do it. They are trying to distract from any discussion about any substantive issue. Keep Trump in the news. Keep vilifying MAGA Republicans. That's what they're most of America will see. And uh, therefore, they don't have to talk about inflation and immigration and all these other issues. If you missed it in Pennsylvania in the middle of the day, and I'm sure he's going to bring it up tonight when he speaks. This is what he's been saying. Cut one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. I, I, I don't get it. That, it to say that half the nation doesn't believe in democracy, um, yeah, I mean, we're a constitutional republic. I, I understand, a lot of people do understand the difference. But that does well, nothing to solve the problems that people are facing every day. True. Uh, and with the referring to the fact that the president keep continued, the former president keeps saying that he was robbed and uh, reinstate me and things to that nature. Uh, and people understand the difference. I mean, but you know that there's not another person outside Matt Gates, maybe in Congress, who's saying that either. Cut to is the press secretary. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. The way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. I, I, I was tempted to play another cut, but I can't. I mean, it, it, they, look, they're they're trying to engage in some of this from the White House, the podium of the White House, engage in the the politics, uh, which the White House press secretary should not be doing. But I don't think it's effective. It doesn't address real people's problems. And I think it's a losing strategy. So how about this? Uh, I think for the most part, I'm pretty amazed at the admit at what the Democrats are doing. For example, no one ever said that Donald Trump didn't want to enforce the border, didn't want to cut taxes, didn't want to did tax reform, didn't right. he did actually criminal justice reform. So you whatever you want to say, they always want to label Donald Trump a liar. But you knew what his objectives were. What they are telling you is pretty much in my open. They're telling you the border is closed. We know it's not. They're telling you that the deficit reduction, the inflation reduction package was going to reduce the deficit. It does not. It enhances clean uh, energy. They said they're pro-law enforcement, and they're, they're show no indication that they are. Uh, they're weak on crime, and that's what basically they've been running on. 
uh, they say the Afghanistan was a big success. That's a total flat-out lie. Yeah, everything they say, it's almost the opposite, and they feel like if they just say it enough. And what I think they're touting is, I call it counterfeit democracy. I think they are trying to go out there and convince people that this is such a threat to to, to the world, but they're not offering proactive solutions. And look, I think, go look at all the people that are running for Congress. They don't want to stand next to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Even Fetterman the other day did not show up. Yeah, go to Tim Wright, go to Ohio. Guess what? Tim's got something else going on in his schedule. Go down to to Georgia. Well, Stacey Abrams has something else on her schedule. Nobody wants to be seen with this guy. He's a political liability, but somehow he thinks the answer is more cowbell, more Joe Biden is going to to solve this. Just keep speaking. And uh, But every time he speaks, there's just more and more gaffes. Uh, well, there is, because he did say that Fetterman was running for governor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's running for senator, and currently he's leading Dr. Oz. There's two people that I'm watching close. J.D. Vance, they kind of backed off on a little. But for the most part, every day they try to rip Herschel Walker, say he's not worthy, and Dr. Oz, nobody likes him. And I'm like, really? Oh, he, they're rookie. Okay, I get they're rookies. But isn't that really what's meant to be, what you did? Yeah. You serve and you got out. You serve and you got out. You might want to go back. That's okay. But would would you have a businessman in Herschel Walker and an athlete in Herschel Walker who is a speaker like Herschel Walker who has got foundations when law enforcement and military and says, you know, I did bobsled, I did track and field, I did football, I think a, a UFC, I think I would like to try politics because I understand what business, what Georgians need. I don't think there's any problem with that. You've got to hire a good staff and you've got to make some mistakes, but so do experienced politicians. Dr. Oz, a nationally syndicated talk show host who understands the health and care industry, international business. He's talking to other countries about syndicating his shows and a self-made success story who worked his way through medical school. Excuse me. Isn't that the intent of Benjamin Franklin and others? Serve for a while. Get out. Hey, you got to go serve in Congress. They're doing that in New Hampshire where just about everyone does something. And I, I just I'm flat out flabbergasted how these guys get ridiculed. Yeah, I know. Get in, serve, get out. You want people who can relate and understand your state, represent your state in, in the United States Congress. I think Dr. Oz is a wonderful candidate. Herschel Walker, yeah, he may not be as eloquent or or have something in his, his, his – but come on. What person else are you going to put up? He is an iconic figure in this country, somebody that – that is uh, has a real following, and I think he'll be the next senator from from Georgia. Yeah, well, I mean, right now he's up to according to the Emerson poll, and the fact is he's up to down to up to. It shows it's neck and neck, and he's just getting started. Look, if Republicans just vote Republican, then we're going to be fine. This is why Joe Biden and the others need to vilify. But I think their strategy is wrong. It's if you were Ronald Reagan, you would go out there and convince people that you know what. These Reagan Democrats, he went out and told Democrats, this is how I can make your life better. And he wasn't angry. And I think that is a formula that Republicans need to remember today. And Democrats are failing that test right now. I watch our good friend Ari Fleischer and others say there's no way Joe Biden's running again. There's no way he's not. I'm telling you, he is running again. There's no doubt about it. And there's probably only one person that could stop him. It might be Barack Obama if he called up and said, listen, I'm going to back another candidate. I'm going to say that it's not your time anymore. That's about the only – I don't even think Jill could stop him. 
He's got well, nothing else to do. And there's no bench, Brian. There's uh, Who is the natural person? Well, it's Newsom not, thinks he's the bench. Yeah. <laughs> well, look how well California's going. They can't even turn on the Home lights the rolling in California. Blackout. Yeah, exactly. Right. So when we come back, I want to do a fresh look, and rather not cut you off, on Mar-a-Lago, what we learned the other day, uh, what bothers you about it, and where you think this whole thing is heading. I, I saw a Bloomberg report that nothing will happen before the election just because of rules it and regulations. It just did. Right. Well, it happened, but they didn't, they're not coming out with an indictment. How about that? Yeah. Well, gee, how generous. Nice. <laughs> hey, when we come back, we'll do that. Take your calls, and Julie Banderas will be here. We think. That'd be good. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is absolutely the crux of it now. It's not just a case about classified documents. It's a case about lying and about obstruction of justice. And that makes it, I think, a much harder decision for the Justice Department down the road as to whether they indict this case. Because you can make an argument that, look, the president was once entitled to these documents. He made some mistakes. He mishandled. Maybe we shouldn't charge him. But once you've proved that somebody lied the DOJ. How do you walk away from that? And the question is, if that, if in fact they say, listen, we asked you for all the boxes, you told us those were all the boxes and there's more boxes. Okay. Who told you that? Was it the president's lawyer? The president could say, oh, yeah, I had nothing to do with that. You know, I'll let you guys talk it out. With me right now is Jason Chavitz. Jason, you're not a lawyer, right? No. So, But I was on the Judiciary Committee. <laughs> right. The NBC, that was the NBC... Uh, intelligence correspondent saying that that's roughly the case. And what they're talking about is the FBI mysteriously, uh, and to me, I'm just put out everything, 36-page report, and they let that picture in. Yeah. It showed all the top-secret yeah. things on the floor. When I first saw the picture, I thought Trump left it like that. I did not know they fanned it out. To me, what, are you marketing? Are you doing sales? Are you selling your case to the American public to keep a special master away? I thought that was odd. Uh, Odd. It strikes me as they're out there saying they want to disengage on politics. This is not how you administer justice. What other case would they actually do this? They were trying to put together a document to present to the judge they didn't need that photo to do that. That was a marketing ploy. They knew that would get out there in the public. They knew that that would be out there for public consumption. It is fundamentally and totally wrong. They have pictures of taking uh, uh, framed photos of Time magazine. What in the world are they doing taking those off the wall? That's ridiculous. And maybe they weren't on the wall. Maybe they were just in that box. But why are they taking a photo and knowing that it will be released to the public? Now, look – you got to understand. I, they probably I was the didn't ch- think it was released to the public. I oh, think they probably- I think they did. I think they knew that that was going out there to the public. That's not for a judge. Judges aren't going to look at that. The judge just needs to have a documentation. Oh, in order you saying to make in the ruling. photo was the picture? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I did not notice that. If you look on the far right side, you'll see a box of framed photos. One of them is Donald Trump on Time Magazine. Okay, I could understand why the president has that. You know, he may have just collected it, but th- look. 
I was the chairman of the Oversight Committee. I issued some of the subpoenas that went to Hillary Clinton, went to the IRS and those types of entities. And then they go out and destroy documents that are under subpoena. You're telling me that's not worse than having these documents? And remember, Hillary Clinton and others, their excuse for having this material. Remember when uh, Uma Abedin had this in Anthony Weiner's laptop and that became an issue right before the end of the election? The argument from the Clinton camp was these are just duplicates. This is not the original. Don't think that we took some classified material. Mm-hmm. They can't argue that it's not secure. It's protected by the United States Secret Service, for goodness sake. So there are a whole host of arguments out there. But it is far worse for Hillary Clinton and the IRS to destroy documents under subpoena, some of which were classified, than Donald Trump having a box uh, to which he's entitled to as the as the president of the United States. He has a security clearance. So we know about this guy, Tim Timball, to, who decided to retire a few weeks ago last week, walked out of the building. Now the, seems to be the spin, on my words, seemed to be, well, he was retiring anyway. Yeah, and right. he was never part of the Hunter Biden case. This is going to be that that's black and white, right? Yeah. You, that's the challenge. That you can. But yet you had whistleblowers come forward. Did you have whistleblowers ever with oversight? Oh, tons of them. Right. Yes. So the, they came forward and they talked to Ron Johnson and they talked to uh, Jim the, Jordan uh, and Grassley. Senator Grassley. Yeah, yep. Senator Grassley. And they came forward. Are we going to have whistleblower versus the FBI establishment? On this, because they're going to yes. say he was never on the case. He never told anybody to suppress the case. And the whistleblower said, no, they told us you better uh, suppress the case. The, the guest, and he was trying to hide the case. So that's we got to get to the bottom of this. I was on Hannity last night. One of the guests is a former FBI agent who's now an attorney who says there are 20 whistleblowers out there so that he's representing. So there are a lot out there. I think a lot more will come out there because I just think that there are a lot of people that understand Equal application of justice is what they stand for, and that's not what's happening right here. The way they treat Clinton and Biden is totally different than how they treat Trump and anybody else associated with them. Uh, right. So are people concerned? Chris Swe- uh, Swecker is concerned. He was on this morning, Cut 23. And that search warrant was way, way too broad to begin with. So this is sort of a step towards remediating that that problem, because in my 24 years in the FBI, I had never seen a search warrant that broad. Basically, it was all documents created during his presidency. And that could include a lot of uh, privileged material, particularly attorney-client, executive privilege. There are other privileges as well. Could be just personal documents. We saw Jim Comey uh, run off with his memos and leak them. Uh, we, we've seen other presidents run off with doc- I shouldn't say run off with documents, but take documents with them. You know, it's, it's a fairly normal garden variety type disagreement with the archives that they've blown completely out of proportion here. So this, the, the special master would get, at least create a perception, and I think the judge is headed in this direction towards fairness. So he's the former assistant FBI director, Chris Swerker. Would you like to see a special master? There should absolutely be a special master. And I was surprised in that photo how few documents we're talking about at this point. Yeah. Oh, well, he might have hidden them. He didn't tell us about them. We're going to find out what's happening. But it's up for the Republicans to not talk about this all the time, right? Exactly. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
We are watching right now a very radical and extreme Republican Party mirror what we have seen in other places like Nazi Germany, like other places like the Bolsheviks. We have seen this playbook before. This is a very dangerous line that the Republican Party is on their full embrace of autocratic ways and means is nothing but disastrous, and we have to stop it. Uh, that is Kurt Bardella of, you guessed it, MSNBC. We're watching right now is a radical extreme Republican Party like Nazi Germany. Uh, so here we go. So the president starts the charge by going to semi, semi-fascist, MAGA Republicans. Clearly this is intent, uh, intentional. This is, this is their method. We do not want to talk about my record. We want to make a cartoon of Republicans, make them unacceptable. So with me right now is Julie Banderas, author of a brand new book, Fiona's Fantastical Fort, uh, Fox News anchor. Are you going to be on Outnumbered in a few hours? I am going to be on Outnumbered today. And, uh, right. And you're going to be one of the women. I am going to be. Well, that's up for debate. But, right. Yeah, you but, know what? I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> so this, this is the one thing that really takes you off. I, I'm astounded by it. I was astounded to hear yep. the president say it. And, you know, of course, he turned away from the – I heard he was at a fundraiser when he first said – uh, semi-fascists never backed off it, and then he came out and said, "This MAGA Republican extremists who want violence and don't accept elections." Yeah. Okay. So let's just start with the semi-fascist comment because I don't even know what that means. It's like, how are you semi-fascist? You're either fascist or you're not fascist. You're either a jerk or you're not jerk. You're not a semi-jerk. I've never been called a semi. I can't say that word that starts with a B, can I? It's like you are or you're not. And it, and I also just want to say this. You know, the president has, since he stepped into office, bashed MAGA supporters. He needs to move on because the more that negativity, as far as I'm concerned, that you bring into the circle, the more you're asking for it. Because you know that you're going to get a backlash uh, from a lot of Republicans, right. who, which, by the way, were Democrats. I mean, the majority of, of Democrats that have switched over— the number of Democrats that have switched parties because of this president is overwhelming. You're just pushing more across the aisle as far as I'm, con- I'm concerned. Here's more from this character on MSNBC, Cut 8. The MAGA Republicans are a domestic terrorist cell operating in America. This is a group of people who have decided that it is acceptable to use violence and threats of violence to try to achieve their political means. That is terrorism. So terrorism, Nazis... How does it get worse than that? I don't know. I mean, and they're referring, obviously, to the insurrectionists on, on right. <laughs> at the Capitol. But those are not Trump supporters, your typical Trump supporters. Those are not typical Republicans. Those are extremists. And let's remind Democrats that there are extremists on both sides. The left has plenty of extremists. Take a look at all the protests across the country that have grown so violent. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, you know, there are extremists right. on both sides. Here's Joe Rogan. On what you just mentioned, how many people are switching parties? Cut 10. As far as compensation for all those people that were forced to close their businesses and keep their doors shuttered and lost everything that they'd worked for decades to build, no, they're they're just going to be angry. More than a million people transferred over to the Republican Party, uh, I think, in 2021 alone. Find out what that number is. Yeah, here it is. More than one million voters switched the GOP, raising alarms for Democrats. So they talk about the Hispanic vote and that, but nobody talks about that anymore. They talk about the momentum going the other way, but they don't talk about what is happening there. But I do notice, too, that Sarah Palin lost last night. And the only congressman in from representing Alaska will be a Democrat. Mm-hmm. So that, along with the special elections, what do you take from that, Joy? I think that's more of a personal thing. Sarah Palin, maybe people just don't like her. I don't she know. she left? I just don't think that she is. 
I, th- I don't think she's a good example of what we're going to see coming up in the midterms and just overall, you know, uh, favor toward her. I don't know if she's lost favor with some Republicans, but I will say that, you know, as far as uh, the the anti-fascist, the semi-fascist comments, um, the president ran on unification. And this is something that burns a lot of Democrats. He came into office because he believed that he was going to be the president that was going to be able to reach across the aisle. He was going to be able to get things done. But instead, he's done the opposite. He continues to drag MAGA supporters down the road, uh, drag them through the mud, and it's not getting him anywhere, and it's not getting Democrats anywhere. He's doing them a disservice. Here's Victor Davis Hanson on what he's seen so far. He told Tucker, cut 11. Joe Biden is all for unity when his polls are above 50 percent, and when he's desperate and so, so far, his polls are dropping, even this week as I speak, down back to 38 in the latest Reuters. Then he tries to divide the nation, and we, and we know how that's going to end up. It's not going to end up well for him, but it's so predictable. We went through the Russian collusion hoax, and then we went through the laptop disinformation hoax. Then we went through the insurrection and attempt to overthrow the government January 6th. It wasn't. It was a buffoonish riot. And then we went the Donald Trump raid hopes uh, that he had nuclear secrets and he had to be, for the first time in history as an ex-president, his home had to be invaded. And it's so predictable because it's just mass distraction. None of these issues that he has uh, pushed through, Joe Biden, on the border, on crime, on inflation, on the economy, on energy, have 50 percent support. He doesn't have 50 percent support. He doesn't. And you would think he would have it because he's got total control of the government. So what about what Victor said? This is just desperation. It seems intentionally. He feel, I think he feels like he's making gains. I don't know how he could possibly think he's making gains. Because the other guys are even showing up to appear with him. Fetterman's not there. Jay, you know, the others aren't going to. Uh, what's his name? Doesn't uh, show up over in. Uh, uh, Ryan, Tim Ryan does not show up in Ohio when he goes there. Right. No, I, I don't think he's making gains, and I'm not sure what he's thinking. And I don't know what his advisors are telling him what to say and what not to say, but they should be advising him not to say a lot of the stuff he's been saying. As far as um, uh, supporters in the Hispanic community, I just want to bring this up because Hispanics are also fleeing from President Biden. I mean, the immigration crisis in this country is turning off so many legal Hispanics in this country who are finally saying, I'm not voting Democrat. They don't care about us. I mean, if they cared about us, then they would prioritize us. Instead, they're prioritizing illegals. So, I mean, tax dollars are going toward illegals instead of hardworking American citizens who migrated to this country legally. And and that's another issue that's going to bite him uh, where it hurts come the midterms. All right. So when we come back, we'll find out uh, if there is indeed more to know uh, with Julie Banderas and also find out about her brand new book, Fiona's Fantastical Fort. Yes. Back in a moment. Okay. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Novak has talked about going into the bathroom in between sets and splashing water on his face and giving himself a talking to, talking to himself out loud. Did you do anything like that? Or what, what happened in between the, the, those sets? Because you came out, obviously, with a much higher level than you did in the second set. Yeah, no, I just got lighter. 
Use your imagination. <laughs> but it wasn't number two. So. That is uh, Serena Williams, what she did when she had a birthday break, uh, her bathroom break at the U.S. Open. She did win, and she did play great. Uh, but And also, I loved her post-game interview. They said, listen, you just beat the number two player in the world. She said, well, I'm pretty good, too. So... But she hasn't been good lately, and she's going to retire after this. U.S. Open had a capacity crowd, a lot of emotion, because they can't get Novak Djokovic because he's not vaccinated. Julie, ben, uh, Julie Banderas is here, and she doesn't regret it. Hi, Julie. <laughs> well, yeah, um, right. we still have time. I can't believe the whole vaccination story. I mean, first of all, the USTA, like I said this the other day, needs to grow a pair of balls. Like, I mean, tennis balls, of course, because they don't have a law. They don't have a rule that actually mandates vaccines. That is not the USTA's policy. It's the CDC's policy. And as we know, the CDC has made a lot of bad decisions. So the fact that they're keeping this guy in open air, unable to compete top in the world to play Uh, tennis is absurd. But but I I blame the administration. They should be changed to policy. Yes, absolutely. There's got to be pressure from the administration, from the USTA, from several different organizations. Yeah, but okay, he can't come in. What do you mean he can't come in? We're over this. Did you see the numbers? Uh, there is uh, the cases are down 10 percent. Only 450 people in a country of 350 million passed away. And I'm sure most of these deaths have uh, COVID as a part of it, but not the main reason for it. So and by the way, the anger that me- the American people should feel about the way we were treated over the last two years is unquantifiable. Now they're starting to mask up in Berkeley. They're telling them if you don't get a flu shot, you have to wear a mask. These people are nuts. And the flu was around before COVID. And so now all of a sudden we have to wear masks because of the flu. Then what happened three years ago when we didn't have to wear masks? The other thing that infuriates me is that this administration absolutely flat out denies and lies about the fact that illegal immigrants are literally walking over the border with COVID. And that's not a problem. They're being bussed to places like Chicago. Are they doing COVID tests on hundreds of illegal immigrants that come into this country? Absolutely not. But then we've got a star world-class tennis player that's not allowed to play tennis and compete because of not being vaccinated in Flushing, Queens, which, by the way, in Flushing, Queens, if COVID is what you get, that's actually a good thing. All right. Let's find <laughs> out if there's more to know. More to know. Serena Williams, as you know, burst out into laughter because of that one reason. Uh, it was a night to remember for her. Seven, six, two, six, six, two. Uh, she advances. She's going to play on Friday. And by the way, she looks a lot fitter. She's going to play doubles with uh, with Venus. She's got a wild card berth in there. I think that she lasts a while. I think U.S. Open needs this badly because uh, outside um, uh, outside a few players, nobody knows what's going on in tennis anymore. Yeah, nobody does, and everybody knows her. So she's the celebrity. Everybody roots for her. Everybody knows her, um, and she's. She's, she's exciting to watch. Next. All right. Uh, these major U.S. carriers mishandled the most luggage in 2022. Have you ever lost your luggage, by the way, or an airline yeah, lost your luggage? Yeah, of course. What, what, do you remember the airline? Uh, it was the number one airline right Are now on this list. Okay. Yeah. American was the biggest offender in this category. 108,000 numbers of bags lost, uh, followed up by Southwest and Delta. But, I mean, America, America is 108,000. By- Southwest is 62,000. Delta, 47. So, American, what the heck is going on? Right. If you really want to make sure you keep your luggage, I always fly Allegiant. <laughs> exactly. So- Who has ever heard of Allegiant? Right. They've only lost 1,193, but that's because nobody flies Allegiant. I've never even heard of Allegiant. They're my only carrier, right, Allison? Oh, have okay. I ever? I'm always saying, where is, is, does Allegiant go there? And when she says no, what do, I, what do you say? They were not going. They were not going. Yeah, okay. I don't buy that for a second. 
Where does it end? Berkeley was requiring students who have not received a flu shot to mask up. Unvaccinated cadets at the Coast Guard Academy were told to go home. All right, your student, your uh, religious exemption has been rejected. Where does it stop? And now the FDA on Wednesday is authorizing an updated version of the COVID-19 vaccine for the Omicron variant. That's two variants ago. And by the way, uh, uh, Dr. McCary wrote me and said they've only tested it on mice. We're not getting it. We're not getting the booster. We're not getting that. And if you're at Berkeley, do not wear the mask. And those people don't deserve you at the Coast Guard if they kick you out. Uh, yeah. And, and the, by the way, the endemic is not here for another two years. So basically the common cold is going to be around for a long time. You mean it's the, the endemic is far, No, the endemic. So when COVID is finally right. out of our system, it's going to be another two years from now, just so you know. That has what... That's the latest official prediction. The next story scares me more. Okay. Well, let's see what it is. The Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday authorized updated versions of COVID-19 vaccines. Is that the one you were talking about? Pfizer and Moderna are tailoring to be no. more effective next. against the Omicron variant? Okay, good. I'm done. I'm over talking about it anyway. Los Angeles County's basic income program uh, in which 1,000 residents are receiving $1,000 per month for the next year, uh, three years, in fact, is now underway. What do you think of this? $2,000 they're giving in Pennsylvania to people that need it. We know about the giveaways when it comes to loans. You don't have to pay it back. Now you give people guaranteed income, and you wonder why we have 7 million or 11 million open jobs in this country. It's unbelievable. There's no incentive to work. Why would you want to work when college is now being refunded? You're getting rebates on college. You don't have to pay to go to school, and now you don't have to get a job. So why go to school? Next. Dolly Parton launches dog apparel line uh, called Doggy Parton. My life for pets is stronger than ever, she says. She's got just outfits for dogs. I do not think you should be dressing up for your dog. Well, your dogs are massive, so I don't think they would fit in anything. I'm not fat shaming them. I'm just saying. Right. Just to make that clear in case they're listening. (laughs) Except for my one, Apollo, who's deaf. How how big are they? How many pounds? Uh, They are uh, Rocky's 135, Apollo's 120, and we have Willow now. Who is already 55 pounds. Okay, you could fit a scarf on them, maybe, and it would probably go on their ankle, not even around their neck. I, unless they have a say in what they're wearing, they should not be wearing anything. Next. No. Dogs, clothes, no, I can't stand it. Christmas trees are already on display. How annoying is this? At Costco Terrible. and Sam's Club as holiday shopping kicks off months early. We're still 118 days away from Christmas. I know. Give me a second. I want to enjoy Labor Day. Uh, and I'll tell you, I think it, it creates anger. I feel angry. No, it annoys me. It also stresses me out because then I'm like, shoot, am I behind? I mean, because I'm psychotic when it comes to decorating, but I'm like, do I need to start putting up my tree in September? We're not sure. Uh, The answer better be no. I leave it up until April, by the way. Um, So lastly, before we talk about your book, over 75% of American adults are failing at exercise. So the remaining (laughs) three quarters of the population falls short. And uh, only 24% 24 are – are actually exercising regularly. That's 150 minutes per week. Uh, that leaves a staggering 46.3, nearly half of the U.S. adults who failed to meet the minimum standard. Don't you think this is terrible for our country? It's sad. 150 minutes per week we're supposed to exercise? National gym. Huh. We have gym today. We yeah. stopped saying that because we don't have it. Right. For now, all America's got to go to the gym once a day. Hey, Julia, you want to go out to lunch? Sorry, I have gym this period. That's what I want to hear. Can yeah. we do that? Yeah. Well, I think because of the wokeism when it comes to obesity, I mean, you saw the Abercrombie and Fitch ad that aired uh, about yeah. a week ago of this obese woman. 
There are companies that are now promoting obesity, which is actually really sad because they're trying to be inclusive. That's not being inclusive. That's just advocating for diabetes. Now we know more. Now, Julie, now I got to find out about Fiona's fantastical fort. Have you ever heard of Brave Books? Brave Books is a book publisher. It's a conservative Christian book publisher that I've partnered up with. They have a monthly subscription book club, okay, for children. Uh, Readers are between 4 and 11 uh, is the the demographic. So basically I'm the September author, and every single book has a positive message. It's like an anti-woke, pro-American, teaching morals, values, you know, everything that kids aren't learning in public schools these days. So my theme is perseverance, and it's just – Teaching children positive messages that when things are getting tough and also to lean on God and to power through. And How do that's there, the are there pictures? There are pictures. I am not in the book. Um, I mean, well, there's a picture of me at the front. It's a sort of a cartoon picture of myself. There are po- pictures, beautiful is- illustrations. But the book is not just a story. It's more like an adventure. So it's actually really cool. Is it's, it one story or each page is it's a different one, story? No, it's one whole story about a little girl who likes to play outside and build a fort. And so it kind of reminds me of my childhood because I loved to play outside. Kids don't play outside anymore. Right. And that's another, that's another message. Get your kids outside. Get them off the iPads. But this story is really cool. And in the end, you know, she perseveres and she finally achieves her goal. But there's also activities in the book and ventures. There's a map and there's all these fun explorations. And so it's a how, fun How do we get book. it? You can go off bravebooks.com. Bravebooks.com. But you can't get until September 1st? September 1st. Wait, is today is September, September 1st? 1st? Absolutely. Today is launch day. So wow. it's now live on bravebooks.com. You cannot buy it on Amazon. Only on bravebooks.com. And are you going to mention this on Outnumbered? I sure am. All right, great. Congratulations. Thank it sounds you. Great. This is my first, and Brian has written like 20 books, so I have a little catching up to do. Well, you know, I've, I've never wrote, written a book to inspire people. I only did stuff to tell people things. <laughs> no one gets inspired. I'm going to get inspired from your book. Thank you, Brian. Brian Kilmeade Show, Julie Banderas. <laughs> From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Standing by Senator Rick Scott and Mark Thiessen, two insightful guys who will bring this, uh, make this show better and bring these uh, major stories forward. Uh, the President of the United States is going to be speaking today about a big speech. He's going to talk about the soul of America. I think, I don't know what he, why he feels he's qualified to talk about the soul of America when he spent the last, I don't know, three weeks telling everyone if you're a MAGA Republican, you have no soul. You're a semi-fascist, which I'm pretty sure... The Hitler and Mussolini would tell you that there's no such thing. We'll talk about that and his strategy. Is it effective? Has it been poll tested? Is it a matter of anything to win, not a matter of unifying the country? Do you ever just say to yourself, hey, I'm president of the country. I know you're a pundit and a, and a political expert, but I just can't really sell my soul for that. But the president's going to speak tonight, and I'm sure he's going to say something equally insulting. I don't think we're going to give him any network time. Why should we? This is a campaign speech, 70 days to the election. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Now they're making the same arguments. They're saying that a special master would endanger national security and and their case. Why? I mean, the special master is an extension of the court. They are appointed all the time. 
Yes, uh, Jonathan Turley, I don't get it either. Bring on the special master. I'm not buying the DOJ's picture show from Mar-a-Lago. Did the Trump team make mistakes? Do I want to hear why Trump and his team didn't just hand over it over? Sure. But am I sold of the illegality because of the photo in the front that was mocked up by the FBI and tossed on the floor? I am not satisfied yet. Number two. Well, how many of their folks in New York City and Washington have perished by fentanyl? Why aren't they asking, what is the administration doing? We've got suggestions if you guys will will bother to meet with us. But they wouldn't, Sheriff Skinner, and they don't. Hello, Second City. Texas starts sending illegals in buses to Chicago, joining D.C. and New York City. Creating havoc, of course, but that is called any day in Texas, any day in Arizona. What will it take for President Biden to unbreak the border? Number one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. Oh, wow. Isn't that unifying? Uh, Divide and dismiss. This is the deployed strategy of the Biden uh, administration and Dems. Ridicule Trump voters. Alienate the Republican base. Pretend you're tough on crime. That the economy's roaring. That the border is closed. Afghanistan was a success. Please let me know how this helps the nation and his political fortunes. Let's bring in Senator Rick Scott. Senator, are you a MAGA Republican? Are you a semi-fascist? Well, I'll tell you what, I care about this country, and I know what Biden's doing is horrible for families. I mean, think about what he's done to people on fixed income and poor people with this inflation. Think of what he's done to our military. He's making our military just a woke military. Think of what he's done to our schools. Think of, I mean, look at the border. I mean, look at all these things. And he wants to attack somebody else? It makes, it, this guy, it makes me mad every day when I think he's the president of the United States. A president of the United States ought to bring people together, quit attacking people all the time, start attacking problems rather than people. It makes you mad. Uh, here it is. Cut one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. <clears throat> they embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. Really? I mean, is is that a winning message? Somehow you think that was poll tested? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, you know what the winning message would be? He's going to get inflation down. He's going to secure the border. He's going to make sure our parents have choices for schools. He's going to make sure we're going to fund the police. He's going to make sure he supports our military and do something to, to, to cover, you know, to bring back, you know, our credibility after the with Afghanistan withdrawal. So that's what he ought to. If he wants to, if he wants to talk about the soul of the country, what this country believes in, talk about capitalism. Talk about individual responsibility. Don't don't go say, oh, you you go to school, you 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 want to run up a whole bunch of debt, and these poor, you know, the the, the waitress at the restaurant who's paying taxes has to pay for some lawyer or doctor uh, that went that went and got an expensive degree. How's that fair? How's that good for the soul of this country? What is a MAGA Republican in your view? I have no idea what he's talking about. I think when I think about a Republican, I think about somebody that believes in this country, wants to live the dream of this country. As a kid like me, growing up in public housing, had mom said you could be anything. That's what I think of this country. I think of this country as this is the country, the land of opportunity. That's why people want to flock to this country, because here you get to live your dream. Not what some, some politician tells you what your dream could be and then ruins your economy, ruins your safety, ruins your schools. Uh, that's pretty much uh, what they are trying to avoid bringing up. 
Here is Mitch McConnell describing the chances of winning back the Senate, and we know that you are uh, basically running the show when it comes to winning back the Senate. Let's listen. I think the, the, there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. So he taking a shot at candidate quality. And is that a shot at you as chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee? It's a, it's a shot at our candidates and the voters. Hey, let's, let's look at this for a second. We've got a world-renowned doctor, a Heisman Trophy winner and successful business person, a small businessman and congressman from a pharma community, a best-selling author who has shown the struggles of drug addiction, successful tech entrepreneur, an Iraqi war veteran who served two terms as state attorney general, successful construction company entrepreneur, and a nurse that brought her, brought her husband back to health who was blinded in Iraq. Do you think that sounds like we don't have great candidates? And by the way, the people in these states, they pick these people. So respect the vote of the people of these states. I'm going to fight like hell every day and be a cheerleader for our hardworking candidates to make sure we win in November. That's how you win in November. Support our candidates. So you were disappointed to hear Senator Mitch McConnell say that? Well, I clearly disagree with what he said. Now, look, we both agree we want to get the majority, but I'm going to go out there and support our candidates. Do we need to raise more money? Yeah. That's why I told everybody, text WIN to 55404. We need more money. The Democrats have outraised us. That's true. But if we get our story out and tell people who we are versus them, we're going to have a big win in November. And I believe, I believe we're going to do it. So Marco Rubio, somebody uh, you know well over in Florida, uh, they think uh, they think that the he's got his hands full right now. Oh, how do you see that race? Oh, Marco's going to win. He's running a great race. And look, he's he has to raise money it's just Demings. like everybody else, but he's got a great story. Uh, and so he's worked hard in the in the U.S. Senate. Do you he's believe- been a successful U.S. senator. He's, he's working hard, raising his money, and he's running to get somebody that votes 100 percent of the time with Pelosi, uh, who's soft on crime. I mean, she's you know, she said she came up through law enforcement and then she's soft on crime. It makes no sense. So, you know, Marco's going to have a big win. Uh, when you talk about Dr. Oz, they say he's down by double figures. I, am, I, I find it hard to believe in a state like Pennsylvania with Fetterman, somebody who is known to be way left, they would have Dr. Oz no. down by double figures. What do you have? Mehmet Oz, is, Mehmet Oz is, is still down a little bit, but slightly. It's, all this is now is we're defining um, Mehmet Oz and we're defining Fetterman. Fetterman's a Marxist. Fetterman doesn't even want to do a debate. He does. He, you know, he basically he wants to let everybody out of prison. He wants to. Uh, he wants to legalize all drugs. Think what that's going to do for crime. Right? He he will he will vote a hundred percent of the time with with uh, with Schumer and with Biden. Uh, so this guy is not good for Pennsylvania. So as long as we have the resources, Memedos is going to be a, a U.S. senator. I look forward. You look at all these individuals. Look at their backgrounds. They come from America. They they live the dream. I want to serve with them. Uh, what is your take on the raid that took place at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, and what has happened since uh, the raid in Mar-a-Lago? Here is, uh, here's Jonathan Turley about the chances of appointing a special master, Cut-22. What's also curious is the level of detail in this filing. This is the Department of Justice that previously said that not a single sentence should be released from the affidavit uh, because national security would be harmed or the investigation uh, would be uh, undermined. Uh, They did uh, release a redacted affidavit that confirmed many points. 
uh, it really did show that their earlier representation was overwrought and overbroad. Now they're making the same arguments. They're saying that a, a special master would endanger national security and, and their case. Why? I mean, the special master is an extension of the court. They are appointed all the time. What would you like to see happen here? Get the facts out. Tell, I mean, think about it. This is unprecedented to do a raid at the home of a former president, potential political opponent of the city president. Right? The, the FBI and the DOJ have got to tell us everything. We've got, we've got to be transparent. This is disturbing. This is scary. I can tell you, I talked to people all over Florida. This has scared them to death. They said it, it just surely looks like the FBI and the DOJ have become political animals for the Biden administration. That can't be that can't be the case. We've got to make sure if the FBI has, has some basis for doing it, get on television, answer every question, put out all put out the affidavit, put out all the information. They've got to make sure that the American public, if they, if they can defend it somehow, go defend it. But don't, this, this, doing a little bit of stuff here and there, fighting against tr more transparency, makes everybody feel uncomfortable. We need to know all the facts. Senator uh, Rick Scott, our guest. Senator, uh, do you believe that Democrats want to talk about Trump? They want to talk about the raid. They do not want oh, to talk absolutely. about record. So are you, how do you plan on handling that strategically? Oh, absolutely. They want to talk about Trump. They don't want to talk about high inflation. They don't want to talk about defunding the police. They don't want to talk about critical race theory or Afghanistan withdrawal. They don't want to talk about any of the things that they caused. They did this. this I mean, if you just think, if you think about, I represent people in my state that are struggling because of the Biden administration and the Democrats. I mean, this idea that we were going to give people that were going to pay off their, their debt, but the poor people that didn't go to college, that are just working every day hard, they, they have to pay more taxes to pay for these people. Are these new 87,000 more IRS agents? Who wants more IRS agents to come and bug them in their homes or in their businesses? This is We've got to talk about these things, and we've got to stop it. Absolutely. Senator uh, Rick Scott, what does your agenda look like this weekend? Well, what, what we're doing, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of candidates. Uh, we're, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Georgia today raising money. Uh, Herschel Walker's running a great race. Uh, he's a great guy. He's going to... You know, he's gone through all the struggles of life. He can talk about them. He's running against a Marxist, a guy that, that you know, has always voted against the state of Georgia, only for the state of New York. So Herschel's going to have a big win, and I'm going to do everything I can to help him. Emerson Poe has him up, too. What does Rick Scott's poll say? It's real close. Um, but, he, you know, he's going he's gonna to win because he's got the right message, and he's working his butt off. He's got a great team working with him. Uh, and Warnick does not represent Georgia. He represents New York. I hear you. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, always great. Thank you, sir. Hey, Brian. Have a great day. You got it. Uh, Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the arrow, one 408 7669 We'll get some insight on this uh, president's speech tonight, his strategy about calling people that don't vote for him Nazis, and Governor Hochul in New York City, by the way, saying if you're a conservative Republican, go to Florida. Really? And uh, Charlie Crist in Florida says, yeah, if you're going to vote for DeSantis, I don't want your vote because you vote for hate. I've never seen such consistency among any party that said, if you don't vote for me, I don't want you here. Uh, that, to me, is the definition of divisive. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden 
It was the most middle of the road, pro-police, working class, you sort of, you know, inoffensive, purposefully inoffensive uh, politician in our uh, of his generation is painted as an extremist. Uh, there you go. Uh, Joe Biden is they, they say to he's a moderate in between candidate, not an extremist. Well, he's acting like it. And there's nothing that he has done, nothing that he has passed that is moderate. And things that's bipartisan, infrastructure, controversial, but I saw there was enough positive there that I saw some Republicans get behind it. Uh, Ju- Senator Cornyn came across and led his way to some type of limited gun reform that I think made uh, total sense, didn't demand anything, gave money for states to enforce a uh, and enforce a, uh, a couple of laws there, but still it's to be their decisions. And then... The things that he's passed unilaterally have been flat-out disasters. The rescue plan, disaster, and this last plan, disaster. That's radical, and that could lead you to that conclusion. But uh, they feel as though they got their man in Joe Biden, and that's the way it's going to be. Meanwhile, in terms of extreme, that's where the president's talking. I expect the same thing tonight in Philadelphia. John Avalon, he used to work for Rudy Giuliani. For the own part, he just rips Republicans for a living said this on CNN, cut five. The term semi-fascist is not helpful. It's not befitting the office of president. And while you can absolutely call out the dangers to our democracy, but it makes obviously perfect sense for someone like Senator Hassan because, look, in New Hampshire, 40, more than 40% of registered voters are independents, right? I mean, another, another, another 30 and change are Republicans. Democrats are the third category among registered, re- registered voters. So she needs to be able to reach out. And that language doesn't help her do and- that. So Governor Hogan said this to Fox News Digital, another moderate from Maryland Republican. Biden ran saying he was going to try to bring the country together and we are needed to have lower some of the divisive anger and rhetoric. And yet this is pretty divisive, angry and the rhetoric will name calling and a little bit over the top. So I think it's a mistake. But I got I get the electoral advantage and why he's doing this, because he's got a rough, a tough race up in the midterm election. He's trying to move things away from what I would say from his failed record as president and the fact that the Democrats who control everything in Washington have moved too far to the left. And so attacking the right wing of the Republican Party, the MAGA base, is probably good politics. But I think it's uh, but I don't think it's right for the country. Yeah, I would love for somebody to run the country. And I just talk about politics. You know, you have his advisors, and I could play you some of that. But I thought that Joe Rogan nailed it when he came out, and he's caused some sponsors and some boycotts. But here's what he said about what he's seen from the president so far and his policies. Cut 10. As far as compensation for all those people that were forced to close their businesses and keep their doors shuttered and lost everything that they'd worked for decades to build, no, they're they're just going to be angry. More than a million people transferred over to the Republican Party, uh, I think, in 2021 alone. Find out what that number is. Yeah, I heard this. More than one million voters switched the GOP, raising alarms for Democrats. Yeah, and then he went on to say this, cut nine. As far as compensation for all those people that were forced to close their businesses. Cut nine. I hope there's lessons learned in this. No one who is alive today had ever experienced a true pandemic. And I'm hoping that now that this is over, people are going to, you know, recognize that some serious errors were made and not repeat those. That's the best you can get out of it. So what do you tell those people? Vote Republican. (laughs) That's what a lot of them are going to do anyway. So what they're doing now, these Democratic groups are saying boycott Spotify. 
protest Joe Rogan. Thousands of people retweeted it. Don't you know what happens when you protest Joe Rogan? You pay the price. Neil Young and all those, all those washed-up musicians that said, don't carry my music on Spotify. I believe Neil Young is now back. Joe Rogan didn't move. Things that he might have said that were appropriate in the 80s, were, were comedy in the 80s, are inappropriate now. He actually apologized for it. But give up on protesting Joe Rogan. Save yourself some time and energy. Mark Thiessen's next. No one's protested that. He provides experience, insight, and I know you'll find him interesting. Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's be clear on this. None of these government documents are his to have taken. I I agree with the deputy director who said that a lot of the former president's Mm -hmm. problems are of his own creation. You can, under the the Presidential Records Act of 1978, you cannot take original documents out of the White House with you when you leave the White House, whether you're the president of the United States or any of his aides. No, you know, that's it's verboten under the law. Now, there are no criminal penalties for violating it, but why the former president packed up to, you know, 20 near nearly 30-some-odd boxes of material when he had no right to do so. And that's what the government asserts, incidentally, in this filing. They say he, the president, former president asked for the return of the documents because, as he said in his filing, they were created during his administration. And the response of the government, excuse me, the response of the government in their filing was uh, that's evidence that they aren't his if they, were de- if they were developed in the White House during his time of presidency under the Presidential Records Act. They belong to the government, not to him. Karl Rove is 100% right, I guess, by the law. But I don't know if you know this or not, but Donald Trump doesn't know everything about the law, especially about the White House. He's the ultimate outsider, the, the, the greatest outsider ever to be elected president. Uh, no doubt about it. Mark Thiessen would tell you that, too. Former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. So, Mark, having said that, it's hard to dispute what Karl Rove said, but you wonder, did Donald Trump trump somebody who said, hey, you know, this is Presidential Records Act, you might want to put those files back. I mean, we wasn't hiding it. I have the video. We see all those boxes stacked up. I mean, don't you think there should be a process yeah. that even can stop this in the future or uh, could have stopped it while it was happening? What do you think happened? Do, you, do we even know? We don't know. Uh, we don't know the answer. Um, and I'll tell you, the thing that bothers me the most about putting it, I agree with what Carl said, but the some of the documents in the that that were seized were not just top secret SCI, which is Secure Compartment and Information, which is the highest level of classification. They had a control. They had a code HCS on them, which means human, which means human intelligence. So there, that means that he had intelligence that could have exposed not just communications methods and intelligence, but sources. Uh, in, in, in for that we have to put in foreign governments, which is the most carefully protected secret the American government has. And when the president goes out and says, well, I declassified all of this, like sweepingly, like that, that's even worse. Like would you declassify sources and methods, exposing sources and methods. So, you know, this is this is qualitatively different from Hillary Clinton's situation in the sense that hers were her records were electronic. They were on a server. 
They were sent in emails, and we know from the FBI that her emails were compromised by foreign intelligence services. We don't have any evidence that Trump's information was compromised by foreign intelligence services because it was in piles of stuff in a in a in a locked room somewhere. So you'd have to you'd have to for a foreign government to get access to it, they'd have to infiltrate Mar-a-Lago, get into that room, and find the information. But it wasn't secured. He had no business having it at Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, this is just another example of how he gives the other side a pretext to go after him. You know, after the Mueller report cleared him of, of Russia collusion and we found out that we had spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars in two years chasing a conspiracy theory. The next day he has that call with Zelensky, which was not an impeachable offense. Uh, it was it was bad. It was bad to ask the leader of a foreign government to investigate Hunter Biden, but that wasn't impeachable. There was no quid pro quo. Most Americans realize it, but he gave them the pretext to turn around and go with the, go on with the impeachment process. And now again, he's given them by by being messy and chaotic, he's given them a pretext to go after him again. And here we are a few months before, a few weeks before the elections, and instead of talking about inflation, instead of talking about crime, instead of talking about all the disasters that Biden has unleashed on the border and across the country, we're talking about Trump. And we're talking about chaos and we're talking about the, a mess and it's not good for the Republican Party. And it reminds a lot of swing voters why they voted for Biden, because it wasn't because they liked Biden. It's because they wanted to put this kind of chaos behind them. And it's reminding them of the exact wrong things about the Trump years. But I'll tell you what, it, the chaos is still here. Number one, uh, nothing you said is inaccurate, but I think it also should say that. It's total chaotic. You look at the border, you look at inflation, you look at the stuff that's passed, yeah. you look at what he did in Afghanistan, what he's about to sign in Iran. This is worse than any of that. This stuff is intramural. I'm talking about this is life and death. Do you know he's taking his hands off Iraq to the point where they're about to just, the country's about to go flying into turmoil? We at least, Mike Pompeo said, hey guys, anything you do with Iran, you risk our military and financial support. And for the most part, we were able to have the status quo with Iraq. He has totally let everything alone. He exposed Ukraine to the point where now we got to put billions in to arm them. And millions have died because thousands have died because of that. So just like everything you said, why give why I put agree. your chin out? Why walk into a bad area exactly. in a crowded sports bar when everyone's drunk and when you know everyone doesn't like you and say, does anyone want to take a swing? They're still guilty exactly of punching right. you. But why put your chin out? Having said That's that, exactly right. Having said that, I don't even want to do the Hillary Clinton thing. Let's just keep it simple. Having said all that, they pull out 15 boxes and they go back and forth for a, a series of weeks. Like, take this, don't take this, put a lock on here, don't put a lock on here. Having said that, I still say that this seems to be political opportunity to make Trump the story. Trump allowed it, got it, understood it, even though. Georgia would have made Trump the story, even though Letitia James suing Trump would have made Trump the story. His CFO was the story the week before. The Georgia phone call was the story. So all the lawsuits, they would have reached to bring Trump back. But this in particular, I said to myself, having all that said, what Mark Thiessen said was true. Does it warrant a FBI raid for nine hours? And the response yesterday with the 36 pages and the mocked up photo. Wow. Really? I thought everything had to be secret. You couldn't expose it. We don't want to, you know, we had to go to a special judge in order to get redacted affidavit. Now you just told us everything you got and the problems that you have. So I'm, they're all over the place. I agree with you. Look, here's the problem is that all of us are caught in between these two things. One, which is that we've got a politicized Justice Department uh, that is that no one trusts. 
and with and an FBI that no one trusts with good reason. We just had you know, this guy, Tim Tebow, uh, who had to resign and was walked out of the FBI because whistleblowers within the FBI came to Chuck Grassley and told him that he was that he was trying to suppress the Hunter Biden investigation. We got an FBI that falsified in, uh, intelligence to the uh, information and evidence to the FISA court. Uh, an FBI, I mean, they, they, there's so much corruption. And then they put out this picture, which is such a clearly partisan political thing to do and and it undermines confidence in them that so that is that little basket there of, of facts is true then there's the fact that that the picture they put out had covers of top secret fbi information that they that they did in fact have evidence that there was human intelligence sources and methods exposed and unprotected in mar-a-lago and that probably justifies going in and getting that stuff if Trump was not if the Trump and his team were not cooperating and giving it to them. So the the raid could have been lawful. Um, it could have even been justified. But the FBI, because of its its you know seven year effort to politicize and go after Trump, doesn't have the credibility to make the case. It's, it's just it's just like the media today, right? So. The the why do why do so many Republicans believe that the election was stolen when it wasn't? There's no evidence that it was, the, 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 it wasn't stolen. It's because the media got it right in saying that you know that there was no evidence, but they lied to us for for for, for the entire you know six years, two years leading up to Trump's election, four years. They pushed the the Russia collusion hoax. They pushed all these fake stories, and so like the boy who cried wolf, no one believes them when they're actually telling the truth. So yeah. us normal Americans are caught between this hyper-politicized left-wing uh, media and, 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 and justice establishment, and then you know, Trump giving them the pretext to do things, that, 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 to go after him. And all I want to do is stop the inflation. All I want to do is stop the border crisis. All I want to do is, is you know, help people who are choosing between gas and food get their lives back. And we can't talk about that because we've got to talk about these idiots. Yeah, a, cu- a couple of things on this. So if you want to know about the election, what was affecting the election, which would be in my stump speech if I was President Trump. But as Jared Kushner told me last week and wrote about in his book, he said if Trump wasn't Trump, he wouldn't have won. So people that don't like certain elements of Trump, just know you needed the whole picture in order to win. That's what that's what people that know him best say. We could debate that. And there's going to be college courses on that when things settle down in years to come. But if you look at the fact that now it's emerged that they had the vaccine before the election and they held it. And what the American people would have thought if Operation Warp Speed, Warp Speed yielded a result before the election. And then you now have the Hunter Biden story clearly suppressed. We even have the FBI agents that might have been a part of it. We have the Facebook, we have the Facebook founder who told us exactly what happened. So all our suspicions yeah. were confirmed. And the FBI story, the many study was shown that one in four or one in six people would have changed their vote had they known because it wasn't about Hunter. It's really about Joe. And then when you have people who are clear thinking like you, who knows Trump is not playing the perfect game, you know he doesn't walk on water, but also people like Bill Maher who said, can we somehow go back to normalcy where I could not vote for a guy, but it doesn't mean you could do illegal things to stop a guy. This exchange, I think, is very telling. It's a little bit of a thorny question because once you go down this road, this is sort of where we are in this country, the other side is so evil Anything is justified in preventing them from taking office, is it? No. You know what's not justified? Using armed violence to try to kill people in the Capitol. That's not justified. Answer this question. 
Well, is was the it appropriate? The question is, was, was it appropriate to bury the Hunter Biden? You're talking about the press doing the, that? He's saying that's what they did, and that is what they did. They buried the Hunter Biden story before the election because they were like, we can't risk having the election thrown to Trump. We'll tell them after the election. Well, and we know for a fact that that's what they did? Of course. You no, don't but follow I mean, this. Saying you you gotta... know for a fact that that's what they did? I don't know what they did. I know, because you only watch MSNBC. No, that's not true. <laughs> so, I mean, number one, do you think that he really thinks that? Like, they, is that, do we know that for a fact? I mean, to be that oblivious? I mean, is Bill Maher the only liberal Democrat that understands that whole story? Uh, it, it apparently, I mean, look, look, Democrats have been doing dirty tricks my entire life, but I mean, not like this. The, uh, but, well, do you remember the uh, the Dan Rather and the and the National Guard story on Bush? You know, where they came up, turned out to be like, you know, the the the, the letter had a font that hadn't been invented yet back during during the Vietnam War. I mean, they've they've been pulling dirty tricks for for years, and it's gotten worse, no doubt. And then the other problem we have, Brian, in America is that. It puts yourself in the mind of a swing voter, right? So a swing voter who thought that Donald Trump's policies were great. Um, the economy was doing great. We had low inflation, plenty of jobs. There was no shortage of baby formula, no shortage of teachers. All the, all the, the border was under control and all the rest of it, but just didn't like the chaos. And Biden said, I'll unite the country. I'll put an end to the chaos. And then he comes in and he's calling us semi-fascists. And he's, you know, comparing Republicans and the people who disagree with him to racists and Confederates and traitors and, and, and Bull Connor and all the rest of it. And you're sitting there and you think, what do I do? I, I, don't, like the, I don't like the chaos, but, the, but there's no palatable alternative for me. There's no moderate centrist. The, the party of Bill Clinton and you know, the era of big government is over. Spending, he's spending almost a trillion dollars by executive fiat using a law. That was passed with the student loan forgiveness, a law that was passed after 9-11. It's stolen valor. It was passed to give veterans who were called up to fight the war on terror to make sure they didn't default on their student loans. He's taking a benefit that was intended for those people going into combat and giving it to a bunch of kids who are not heroes, who didn't do, who, who took on loans they couldn't forgive. And he's spending a trillion dollars without without Congress. They're talking about undermining our institutions and our democracy. You're completely destroying the checks and balances and the power of the purse of Congress. So, so we're caught. We're caught in this vice between a radical left wing partisan it's the left-wing establishment that is sending us into oblivion, destroying our country, and this, the, you know, and playing dirty tricks, and you know, this chaos. And there's no—I mean, it's just—I I, I was a swing voter who wasn't a super pro-Trump or, or super anti-Biden. I'd just be—I'd be absolutely flummoxed what to do in the voting booth. Well, right now, if you were a swing voter, I know what you mean. But to me, it's just so clear you're better off under Trump. It is just so Agreed. obvious. Yeah, I mean, to or me. A Rep- or, a Rep- or DeSantis or right. somebody. Oh, absolutely. That doesn't hate the country. That wouldn't like destroy our energy industry because he's got some lark he wants to run us through that will never work and is shown to not work as we look at rolling blackouts in California. That's our five-year future if we elect this ideology again. They're going, to, they're going to ban electric cars like in California and then ban us from charging them from, from 4 to 9 p.m. across the entire country if they get into power. I mean, this is it, – it's so – you know, I, I, yeah, I agree with you, but, but why are we not talking about that? 
Why are we talking about Mar-a-Lago? Well, Why are we talking about Trump right now? The, the, this is the thing. The Democrats want to make every election about Trump because they can't defend their policies. And too many of us on the right go along with them and say, OK, let's talk about Trump. It's outrageous what they're doing to Trump. Let's just stop talking about Trump and talk about Biden. Let's make this election about Biden. The way Biden won was hiding in a basement and letting Trump make the election about him as opposed to making it about Biden. And now he's doing he's trying to do it again. And I hope I hope to God it doesn't work is if they if they hold on to the House and they make gains in the Senate, our country is over. If, if they don't need Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and they can get and they can get rid of the filibuster, they are going to pack the Supreme Court. They're going to add the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico as states. They are going to they are going to spend every everything they couldn't spend because of Manchin and Sinema. They are going to spend and more. I mean, they, we will never be able to recover if that happens. So. I'm I'm sorry. I, I think you're rid of the filibuster. Right. I care about that. So, Mar, first big that. test for the president Friday. How much does he talk about the raid? How much does he talk about uh, how bad President Biden he views President Biden? And then see if he declares before the election. If he waits, it'll show that he's serious about running again. Oh. If he if he actually declares oh. before the uh, midterms, it'll he's not going to get elected uh, either. But listen, Mark, I got to run. Uh, thanks so much. You're, right. uh, I love your insight. And I understand how you're wrestling with all this uh, because I do the same thing. Thank you. You just do it on a higher Thanks, intellectual level. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We don't need guns on our streets. We don't need people carrying guns in our subways. We don't need people carrying guns in our schools. We don't need people carrying guns in our places of worship. We don't need them carrying them into guns, into bars or restaurants. Because that will only make people less safe. This whole concept that a good guy with a gun will stop the bad guys with a gun, it doesn't hold up. To what? That is Governor Hochul, who's trying to tell everyone, just uh, get rid of all guns. Well, the Supreme Court ruled that New York is being denied their Second Amendment. So therefore, within reason, they are allowed to put some regulations in. But New Yorkers can now uh, carry, put a license in to get a gun and have a reasonable chance of getting it. And applications in New York, and maybe it's by a city and state by you, Blue, uh, are through the roof, up 54%. But there are so many restrictions going in that it almost looked like this law doesn't exist, and they've done it again. They're inviting another lawsuit to make New York go by the letter of the law that passed through the Supreme Court. And Governor Hochul coming out, seeing, standing in a city that is overridden by crime, that is understaffed with cops, that is not backed in a solid way the way it used to be by the men and women in blue. We hear these horrific stories, whether it's the bodega owner or whether it's the a subway rider who got stabbed in the back last night because he, he didn't want to give up his 30 bucks. And you wonder, is it really not good for us to be able to defend ourselves because Governor Hochul's not comfortable with it? Another reason to say, Lee Zeldin, you're my guy. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks so much for Kilmeade. being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Don't forget, I'll be taking your calls throughout the uh, hour. I've got a great movie uh, to spotlight. It's uh, by Chad Jackson. 
Uh, it is called, it's the writer, of, it's Uncle Tom too. He's the writer of the documentary. Give an idea about race in America from the black perspective, where they've been uh, and where we are uh, and what is really going on and what the right message is. It's fascinating. I think you'll really like it. And Andy McCarthy standing by to unwind uh, what could have happened to the Hunter Biden story and what did happen in Mar-a-Lago. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Now they're making the same arguments. They're saying that a special master would endanger national security and, and their case. Why? I mean, the special master is an extension of the court. They are appointed all the time. What is the problem? Jonathan Turley says, bring on the special master. I'm not buying the DOJ's picture from the Mar-a-Lago. Did the Trump team make mistakes? Do I want to hear why Trump and his team didn't just hand everything over? Absolutely. But am I sold of the illegality of the photo on the floor mocked up by the FBI? I thought Trump left it a mess. I did not know the FBI tossed that on the floor and then took the pictures. Stop marketing to me, please. Number two. Well, how many of their folks in New York City and Washington have perished by fentanyl? Why aren't they asking what is the administration doing? We've got suggestions if you guys will, will bother to meet with us. Uh, that would be great. Sheriff Skinner trying to get some help at the border. Hello, Second City. Texas starts sending illegals on buses to Chicago, joining D.C. and New York City, creating havoc along the way. Uh, Governor Abbott has had it. And guess what? The negligence of President Biden has created a war between the states. No joke. Number one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. Really? Divide and dismiss. This is the new deployed strategy of the Biden administration and Democrats. They ridicule Trump voters, not just Donald Trump. They alienate the Republican base. Pretend you're tough on crime, that the economy's roaring, that the border is locked down, that Afghanistan was a success. And please let me know how this helps the nation and your political fortunes. Let's start in the legal stuff, Andy McCarthy. Andy, uh, welcome back. Brian, how are you? I'm doing good. I know you've been writing extensively and doing a lot of work on what we know so far. Those 36 pages in the picture that came out, what did that do to this story as we wait to find out if there'll be a special master? Well, I don't, Brian, I think that they've made a pretty good argument against the government did against the special master. If I were the judge, I'd be annoyed at the government because I think, you know, when she said that uh, she wanted the government to respond by Tuesday and then she was going to have a hearing on Thursday, I thought a fair interpretation of that was that she didn't want them to change the status quo um, until she got a chance to rule on what should happen here. And instead, they turned around and put their heads down and, and basically plowed through their process. Um, so they've already completed going through everything. They've already given the prosecution team the documents they think are not privileged, uh, and they, it, this is the important part, they've allowed the intelligence community, community agencies to get their hands on the classified stuff so they could do the, the damage assessment, which really is the, the most important thing here. So if I were the judge, I'd be annoyed because I think the government, the Justice Department should have asked her whether it was okay to continue going through their process after she put a hearing on for today. and. Uh, she may be a little annoyed about that, but in terms of their legal argument that they made that there shouldn't be a special master, I think they made a pretty convincing argument that there shouldn't be. And even if she gives them one at this point, it's not going to. It's going to. It'll be a very tight time leash, and 
I think if their main legal argument is correct, which it may be, and that is that um, if Trump still has executive privilege in his post-presidency and there's a Supreme Court case that, that suggests that he has some measure of it, it can't be asserted against the executive branch itself. So if he has executive privilege, it would be okay you know, to assert it against Congress or against someone else. But their argument is even the Supreme Court case that suggests that a former president may have may still have executive privilege, you can't assert it against the executive branch and its core responsibilities. If if they're right about that, and I think it's a pretty good argument, then what we're left with is a very small amount of attorney-client privilege stuff, they say, which they've already segregated. They didn't give to the trial prosecutors, and they can show the judge to show what they what they did. So, you know, I think as far as the special master aspect of this, goes, I think it's going to be much ado about nothing. But the filing is very interesting because it's the first look that we get at their obstruction evidence against uh, former President Trump. But they use terms like likely. There might be obstruction. Which one is it? Uh, Well, you know, you told us you gave us everything and you didn't. Well, did you? Do we know if the Trump team said we gave you everything? Do we know that? that Go ahead. Yeah, they filed. They gave a. Here's what happened. They get. They gave the Trump team a grand jury subpoena on May 11th, uh, and they said to them, "You don't have to come to the grand jury in Washington. We would rather you had the F, let the FBI pick up the classified information where it is. But in lieu of a grand jury appearance, what we want is a statement from you that you've done a thorough search, and this is the only classified information that's on the premises." And they agree. So what happened is when was June third, the, the subpoena is May 11th. So what happens initially is the, is the Trump team asks for a delay. The, the subpoena was originally returnable, I think May 24th. The Trump lawyers ask for a delay. The Justice Department offers them June 9th, and suddenly instead, the one of the Trump lawyers calls the Justice Department on June 2nd and says, "Why don't you come tomorrow and pick the stuff up?" So they they send three FBI agents and a Justice Department lawyer to Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd, and this meeting is pursuant to the grand jury subpoena. So they give them a package with 38 classified documents, which it, during which they say, this is it. This is all we have, but these are the classified documents. And one of the Trump lawyers, I don't want to say who it was because she's, she's been identified in the media, but I don't. I, the Justice Department doesn't out her as the one who signed this, so I'm a little bit uh, reluctant to, to use her name. But one of the Trump lawyers signs this sworn statement that says, this is everything, we've done a diligent search, and that's all there is. Um, so that's the, that's the false statement, and it's a pretty – black and white false statement. So, now, so how does what, that gel? What, I just If I can interrupt one second. Uh, yeah, how does that gel with the fact that they say, listen, you got other boxes in there? And they go, yeah. They go, Would you do me a favor and put another lock on it to make sure it stays secure? And they did. So yeah, what do you mean you handed over that, everything? They locked an empty room? Yeah. No, but that's not – but that's, that, that's what President Trump has said happened. They say that's not what happened. What they say is they were never happy about the fact that Trump continued to hold presidential records. They asked to see the area where the lawyers represented the records were being kept. So it was a storage room at Mar-a-Lago. So they take the FBI agents to see it, 
and the FBI agents say, oh, okay, can we look inside the boxes just to check to make sure there's nothing more there? And they say, no, you can't look inside our boxes. So right away that makes them suspicious about the, the statement, you know, the, the sworn statement that says that's everything. But what the government said to them was they're not happy with the fact that, that Trump continues to keep these materials, and they're concerned that the, for now that the condition that, – that there's not enough security – so Trump took that to mean, well, we'll put another lock on it, but the government never asked him to put another lock on it. The government's position was, we're not ready to escalate this right now to the point where we're going to have these three FBI agents carry this stuff away, um, but this isn't over. You know, for now, you know, we're gonna, their, their point is they were always coming back to the boxes. Um, it was just a question of, do you do it by search warrant? Do you give them another subpoena? Now, to my mind, Brian, I think they should have given them another subpoena. I think, like, right there and then they should have said, here's a subpoena. We want those 15 boxes or however many boxes it was. And they didn't do that. And they waited. Uh, apparently, they gave another subpoena on June 22nd for the security tape, the you know, the surveillance. And they the reporting about that is that they saw some – activity that disturbed them in terms of uh, people moving boxes in and out of the storage area and potentially taking documents out of boxes. But that's just reporting. We don't know if that's what happened or not. And the Justice Department didn't put that in their um, in their papers. So I don't now, think we know now, yet. No, what we don't seem to have is Trump's point of view, and we don't have his lawyer's point of view. We only have them their point of view from interviews, correct? Well, Trump's lawyers filed the motion for a uh, special master. So they have put their version of events to paper. And what they say is that President Trump was completely cooperative and, and transparent and told them, you know, whatever you guys need, um, all you need to do is let us know um, what you're looking for. And if we have it, we'll give it to you. Um, and both sides confirm that. Well, no, I, the, the, the government, you know, Trump takes the position that the June 3rd meeting was an amicable negotiation session. And what the government is saying is, no, it wasn't. It was a meeting under duress. We gave you a grand jury subpoena. That's the reason the meeting happened. Uh, and you know that that's the reason the meeting happened, because you gave us the statement that we asked for in the subpoena and the 38 documents. So, you know, they obviously have different positions about, you know, what the nature of the meeting was. But they did confirm that interaction. Trump dropped by and said, if you guys need anything, appreciate what you do. If you need anything, uh, let you know. Let me let us know. Correct? The, the government's papers don't allude to Trump. The, the government's papers talk about the meeting with the two lawyers. They don't mention President Trump stopping by, but they also don't deny it. So it's not like, you know, if, if – uh, to the extent President Trump has made a, uh, you know, has given a version of events of what he did at that meeting, uh, they don't mention right. it, they don't confirm it, they don't deny it. What, do you, but what about the theatrics of tossing that stuff on the floor and taking the picture and putting that in? Yeah, I, so I think that um, this is like a classic Trump situation where, you know, he does something that's self-destructive for himself, but at the same time he brings the worst out in the people who oppose him. So I don't know where the adult supervision is at the at the Justice Department that somebody thought that it was a good idea 
in an investigation about mishandling classified information that you would splay a bunch of classified information all over the floor when number one they should be they should be handling it very carefully in order to demonstrate that that's how they expect people to handle it number one and number two they had to know that Trump was going to, as anybody would, Trump was going to take this picture that they broadcast and basically say, see, they're trying to frame me in the public mind that this is the condition that my office was in, when in fact they're the ones that splayed this stuff all, out all over the floor. So I don't know why the Justice Department and the FBI thought that was a good thing to do. I thought it was a really stupid thing to do. At the same time, Trump last night puts out this um, – on his social media thing, he says, those, those, that is not the condition in which my, you know, they found those things. I had them in a carton in my office. Well, if I'm Trump's lawyer, I'm like ready to shoot myself. You know, <laughs> he's basically admitting that he had the documents, which is like a different story that, you know, last week it was, did they plant the but, documents? But let me just tell you from his point of view, I'm allowed to have the documents. I declassified them, and they were safe in my office. That's his point of view, and that's where the argument is, right? Well, I mean, that's that's going to be his argument. What the Justice Department says is, and this this actually is going to be a tough one for him to get around. They gave him a subpoena for classified documents. He didn't say, "I don't have any classified documents because I declassified everything." He gave them a package with 38 classified documents, and he told them this is all there is. Now, I, you know, he told them that through the lawyers. So what the Justice Department is going to argue, and this, is, this seems sensible, is that you know, he never claimed that he declassified them. Uh, in fact, when we gave him a subpoena saying we need the classified documents, he came back and said here are the classified documents. No claim that uh, – no claim they were declassified and no evidence – in the meantime, that he ever declassified. So here's what John Radcliffe said last night. Cut 25. Good prosecutors with good cases play it straight. They don't need to play games. They don't need to shop for judges. They don't need to leak uh, intelligence that may or may not exist. And, you know, in this case, uh, this tells you that the government didn't find what they were looking for. There weren't nuclear secrets in Melania Trump's underwear drawer. And they're trying to justify what they've done uh, they're not playing it straight uh, before the American people. I guess he's playing also towards that picture. Yeah, well, I, I think the picture's objectionable. I don't know what John would expect that they would, uh, like, let's just say for argument. But, but he did say they, they did, did shop find- for judges, right? They did find a judge that was amenable to them that they know would be friendly to them. Uh, well, I don't know how they ended up with Bruce Reinhardt, but I would I would point out and they may very well have done that and wouldn't be the first time. But I'd also point out that, um, you know, under the rules of civil, uh, criminal procedure, when Trump filed his motion, he should have filed it with Reinhardt. And instead, he filed it, as it turns out, with a Trump-appointed judge. So, you know, I guess what's good for the goose is good for the gander. But um, Right. After he sees know, I, that, he reacted. Also, what about they did leak intelligence to the Washington Post and New York Times? All of a sudden? Uh, we can't give an affidavit out. We're not going to give the affidavit out. But read the Washington Post. You'll have a good idea yeah. what's going on. No, Brian, I have to tell you, as a prosecutor, there was nothing more frustrating when I would have to go into court and say, um, you know, we have to withhold this information. This has to remain under seal because we have an investigation going or there's a national security problem. And Judge Mukasey or some other you know, good judge would look at me and say, 
Well, have you mentioned that to the FBI? Have you mentioned that to the Justice Department? Because they don't seem to think this is a problem. They're giving information to the New York Times. They're giving information to the Washington. It's the worst thing. If you, it, there's nothing worse than trying to do the right thing and play by the rules, and then you have these people right. undermining you, which 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 happens Andy? all the time. And I don't know what. To do. Thanks so much, Andy McCarthy. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The MAGA Republicans are a domestic terrorist cell operating in America. This is a group of people who have decided that it is acceptable to use violence and threats of violence to try to achieve their political means. That is terrorism. And that is how Republicans are being described by Democrats who want to stem what they think was supposed to be a red wave. I'll tell you, it's not a good time for Dem- for Republicans in Alaska. They lost a special election again. So this is five special elections they have lost. Uh, but I will say this. Reuters just did a poll and said, how popular is President Biden? He's got 38% approval rating. I mean, that's below Donald Trump at this point. Donald Trump gained seats in the Senate in his first midterm, first and only. And uh, he lost the House. So he did increase his advantage. I think it's going to be really tight, and that's why I think after Labor Day, the ratings on this show will be even higher because we're going to have go inside politics in a way that almost any other show isn't. We'll get the players uh, and the candidates themselves because so much is at stake. And, and you know, Mark Thiessen said it earlier. If, they, if the Republicans widen the space and don't no longer need Joe Manchin, if the Democrats widen the space of their advantage in the Senate, no longer need Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, uh, and they don't get the House, and if the Republicans don't get the House, the country's probably changed for a couple of generations. But all their policies will fail so precipitously and so quickly, it could change quicker. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Today, if you ask the average person... Do you know what socialism is? Do you know what communism is? They do not know. Black people were always ripe for use by the communists because many of us do come from situations of poverty. If the devil came with red horns and a pitchfork, everybody would run. He's a deceiver. This is a deception. Our enemies are our children and our grandchildren because they believe in that deceptive lie and believe it or not at a time now when you can see the race relations getting better in this country uh, they say and many people see if you look at black lives matter what they talk about is marxism and think well what is that if you get an oppressed society one with grievance and you give them the alternative and say this is because life's uneven and you go marxism communism we can even things out you definitely have an apt audience an audience that's unhappy that sees happiness and sees somebody to blame and that's what many people believe is happening with the black community today, what we see, the, uh, the outgrowth of Black Lives Matter. Chad Jackson is the writer of a documentary uh, that you've seen before. Now there's a sequel called Uncle Tom 2 and joins us now. Chad, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Hey, I'm through a lot of your documentary. It's fascinating. First off, before we talk about racial inequity, we know blacks have had it extremely hard in this country. We know they started as, as, as slaves 400 years ago. But since that time, progress has been made at a dizzying rate. But somehow that progress stopped. When did it stop? 
or perceived well, to be stopped? Yeah, well, we've dug into this matter uh, quite extensively over the course of two years. And all of the trails lead to about the 1960s at the height of the civil rights movement. And what you say about blacks have had it had in the, or hard in this country, um, you know, as a black man, that's what I've been told all my life. And, you know, to some extent, that's true. But that's true of literally everybody in this country, regardless of, you know, who you are or what your lineage is. And it's indiscriminative race. Um, you know, suffering is a natural part of life. But what the communists have thought to do was to use this this uh, or exploit rather this this race issue to exacerbate it, blow it way out of proportion to necessitate something like a civil rights movement so they can use that as an incision point to, in a sense, uh, radicalize our country, uh, whether you whether you realize it or not. But that's exactly where we are now. But why go to the black community to do that? Well, um, there was a man named W.E.B. Du Bois. He graduated from Harvard University, and uh, there was something called uh, the NAACP, which was started by a white woman named Mary White Ovington. She was a socialist, and she basically uh, believed in socialism. She wanted to change the structure of our country, and she thought that the way to do that would be to start this black movement, and they needed a black face to head it, and so that's why they chose W.E.B. Du Bois. They started what was called the Talented Tenth, and the idea of the Talented Tenth was to take from the black community an elite group of intellectuals and to artificially insert them uh, at the leadership at the top of the black community. And so, um, again, because of slavery, because of this kind of racial background that existed, it kind of created this low-hanging fruit, uh, easy uh, pathway whereby to uh, and, and, and intrude on this um, the situation that they had going on here. So what Marxism is, is Marxism seeks to find um, these, these struggles uh, between groups, uh, class struggle, struggle based on race, based on sex, based on whatever the case may be. And it just so happened because of the race uh, history in this country, it was just low-hanging fruit for them to, to, to exploit. So. And uh, so we Booker, demonstrate that very clearly in the movie. And W.B. Du, uh, du Bois was really rivaled by, he was a rival of Booker T. Washington, who had the exact opposite uh, view. Uh, look at the potential of America. Look at where we were. He was born a slave. And look at where we're going. And we're going to form a university. And we're going to learn a trade. And we're going to learn to read, write, and, and grow the intellectual base through schools. And that was the counter to that, correct? Again, yes. That's exactly right. And it wasn't just poor blacks who were doing this at the behest of, of Mr. Booker T. Washington, as you point out. You saw this uh, true in the Italian community, in the Irish community, in the Hispanic community. Everybody resolved that the way to mobilize upward in America is to get to work, be productive, be a man, stop complaining. Um, it just so happened that all of that was disrupted by Marxism in the black community. But you're right. Booker T. Washington was pushing American values, and that was true of the black community till around about the height of the civil rights movement, which is, again, something that people don't want to contend with, people don't want to face, because we've been, like, the civil rights movement has been romanticized, uh, and, and particularly in my generation, I was born in 1990, and we grew up celebrating Martin Luther King Day, uh, believing that the civil rights movement was a good thing. Uh, we didn't We didn't really have a full grasp of everything that happened in order that we might come to our own conclusions. The narrative was kind of like 
codified and put forth for us to to believe without question. It's only now that people are beginning to look at the whole picture, and I think people are, will be shocked by what they found or what they find. Wow. So here's a cut from Vadi Bachman Jr., an American pastor, author, and educator who served as dean of theology in the African Christian University, uh, Christian University over in Zambia. Uh, here's Vadi. Cut forty. Black people in America are the freest, safest, most prosperous black people in the history of the world. There is no country in this world that a black person would rather be, unless, of course, they grow up in this country. Then they're fed a lie that is so deceptive, they actually believe the opposite of that which is true. And that's interesting. From the outsider perspective, that's the belief. But on the insider perspective is, look how unfair America is. It's 1619. It's not 1776. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting about that is the people who are pushing this narrative, whether it be you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who wrote the 1619 Project, or Hank Rogers, who goes by the pseudonym Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, all of these so-called pro-black intellectuals who you know, once black nationalism in a sense, everything's about being black. If you look at who's funding these so-called black leaders, you'll find white Marxists. And so it's just interesting because the people who are none the wiser, who are on TikTok and Instagram, who are regurgitating this nonsense about how racist America is, and they look to the so-called black leaders as though these guys are the brain trust of this ideology, they're actually not. Their black leaders are funded and get their ideas from white Marxists, not from, you know, black. There's no black man behind the curtain, so to speak. Understood. And we're talking to the director of Uncle Tom 2, the trailer. Uncle Tom, uh, Chad is described as basically an African-American who uh, who wants to somehow get into white society and sell out his own. Correct. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's the whole point. Of and, and, that, and that's what you uh, is that what you're called? Is that what Alan West is called? Is that what is that what Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson is called? Yeah, we're called that. And it's a, it's a sabotaging tactic is really what it is, because they understand that what we're talking about, what we have to offer will uh, will move black people from being a crying race to a trying race. People that try, people who uh, who realize that they are in the best country in the world, and if they just put their toe in the water and, and resolve to swim and to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, participators in, in this great society of ours. Compete. If they do that, if they compete, if they just be decent, then – things will look up for them. And so because that's the message that we're we're putting forth, we are a real threat to those who seek to control black people uh, for their own political aim. And if, and, you're so a black, and if you're a black person that runs on those beliefs, let's say for the Republican Party, uh, yeah, yeah. and it used to be the, De- you know, it used to be the Democratic Party was pretty much understood uh, to be the right. racist party that was pro-segregationists and everything. But having said yeah, that, if you are if you are Herschel Walker, if you are Senator Tim Scott, you are a sellout, correct? Yeah, you're a sellout, and and the thing is, like it, like I said, it's a, it, they see you as a threat, and so they want to call you sellout, Uncle Tom, bootlicker, all these things, you say. because they want they want to put forth this image of you to the 
to the masses of black people that you are um, someone who is who is dangerous. And the idea is to not want people to, or to make people think that by listening to you, it will actually be to their detriment and not to their benefit. But quite the opposite is true. Chad, you also said uh, part of the whole communism Marxism thing is uh, break up that family and, uh, mm-hmm. and and push away religion. Why, in yeah. many ways, uh, before the Jim Crow era, when things first turned after the Civil War, things were on the fast track. Immediately, uh, African Americans were becoming Congress, you know, joining Congress, getting into legislature, and then it was that whole deal that was made in the Jim Crow that was instilled. This setback, but it's still the black family was strong. Correct. Absolutely. And it's like people like to say, oh, black people thrived in spite of the racist South. And for a long time, I believe that, oh, it was in spite of it was in spite of. But what we found is that race relations between black and white in the South were far better than what we've been told. Um, That's been demonstrated in the archives that we delved into in correspondence and you know, uh, looking at just business dealings uh, in Louisiana, Texas, Georgia, all of these other southern uh, states. And so, yes, you had black success, you have black families, you have black entrepreneurship, this, that, and the other. But it wasn't in many instances in spite of so-called racism. It was with the help of white Americans who saw black people as their brothers and their neighbors. Here is uh, Alan West, Cut 42, talking about Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. It is, without a doubt, the strategic playbook, as well as the Communist Manifesto of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Those are the two seminary documents for the progressive socialist left in America today. His dedication tells you everything. He dedicated his book to Lucifer. Saul Alinsky (laughs) is? Yep. Saul Alinsky is the, they call him the father of community organizing. Um, He actually gets his ideas from the Frankfurt School, uh, from uh, Antonio Gramsci, who envisioned this slow, gradual march through the institutions. Uh, What what Saul Alinsky understood is that, and and this, before I say what I'm about to say, it's important to understand that Saul, Saul Alinsky understood the Bible. And so, as someone who understood the Bible, he knew that no human being can live perfectly up to uh, the moral ethic that the Bible puts forth. And so he had a famous quote of, you have to use their holy book against them. And so he was he was very much into these jiu-jitsu-type organizing tactics where you uh, take this intersectional group, in his case, the black community, and you go to a mayor or a police chief of a specific municipality, and you come with a list of demands, and you use these these threatening, intimidating tactics to get what you want. And in many cases, you find that the places that you went into, Buffalo and some of these other you know industrial cities, were far worse off after Sololinsky left than they were before he came. Wow. Uh, So, Chad, it's all in your uh, documentary. I encourage everyone to watch it. I don't care what your background is, what your gender may be. Uncle Tom, too. Where do you get it? You can watch it now. It's available at UncleTom.com. Part one is on there, but part two, uh, if you haven't watched part one, it's it's no big deal. Part two is a film that stands on its own. Uh, Larry Elder, uh, Alan West, Fodi Bauckham, 
uh, all did a phenomenal job in this film. We're very excited about it. We think that this film is going to change America. I hope, so. I hope so. I love the message. Chad, thank you. Thank you. one 408 7669 Keep in mind, I'm on the 5 tonight, so you can get more of me. And, of course, Saturday, One Nation at 8 o'clock. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope there's lessons learned in this. No one who was alive today had ever experienced a true pandemic. And I'm hoping that now that this is over, people are going to, you know, recognize that some serious errors were made and not repeat those. That's the best you can get out of it. So what do you tell those people? Vote Republican. (laughs) That's what a lot of them are going to do anyway. Yeah, about a million people, he points out, have changed their party affiliations after the way the pandemic was handled. People should not forget about that. And don't, as Mark Thiessen said earlier, don't get overwhelmed by what's happening in Mar-a-Lago. Wherever you stand, it's just not an issue now. Biggest Trump supporter, biggest detractor, doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in January 6th. Get caught up in things that are going to affect your lives. That's, That's this big switch to green energy. This is the lockdown with the mindset like Berkeley's doing, making these kids wear masks if they don't get a flu shot. Do you believe this? Or kicking out unvaccinated people from the Coast Guard Academy? Are you nuts? That only happens uh, with this administration. It doesn't happen with if with the Republican Party. I guarantee it. Uh, keep in mind, I'm going to be on the 5 tonight. Also, go to BrianKilme.com, especially if you're in the Albany area. I'll be at this great place called The Egg. Some VIP opportunities where I get a chance to talk about politics, take your questions, get a chance to meet you. Then I go on stage and we'll talk about America great from the start. Uh, also, I'll be up in Brandon, Mississippi, and then over in Tulsa, Oklahoma in November, and then finishing up in Newark, New Jersey. Ron, listening on KSLM. Hey, Ron. Hey, my brother. I love you like if you were my own brother in real life, my Friend, I grew up everything that you just served there. I knew as a six year five to six year old kid in LA. My dad was on the Gulf Tonkin, he was a gunsmith. But make a long story short, I watched that dogma preached with 120 IQ at five years old, Los Elementary School, and watch what Maxine Waters done to people that stood up against those things like a Thomas Brad that summer, who was a Republican. And then watch whenever it go from being middle class and ninety first normally and be destroyed. Then, uh, you know what's unique is I w- was raised in the foster home when I turned 11 in Fontana, California. Kaiser Steel, we were producing steel and everything else. And yet the dogma from that point, blacks that was following, because I didn't, I wore blue jeans, I was basically a redneck American, I loved my country music and, and jazz and blues and Sinatra. And then I w- grew up in a town in Fontana, California, and I was captain uh, for the Ku Klux Klan. They, the ugly blacks, people that, in my opinion, and when you put those together, they didn't match. But yet, I came out, I'm a godfather of 28 families, some of my best friends. I know I wasn't the best. It wasn't about, like Sinatra, I met three times. It ain't about the color of the skin. It's your character and your goals, and God was a part of my foundation. I'm, and if everyone, I'm Ryan, if people are telling you your whole life you're never going to make it because you're black or Hispanic or, or a woman, you're not going to make it. And what you got to do is overcome it. And if people say this is a built-in excuse, you have no shot. And if that's all you're told and you don't have a family to push back, 
for you, with you, when you're in that impressionable age, you're doomed. And that's why you got to go download to- Uncle Tom and Uncle Tom 2. It tells the, the reality of what's going on in this country and how to turn the corner. Uh, and Ron, thanks for your support, too, and congratulations on the great life you've uh, seemed to have lived. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation, 48 hours away. 48 hours away, 8 o'clock Saturday. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.